0: This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com/excuse to start your free trial membership. Season eleven, episode nine.
1: This is Writing Excuses Q and A on Wonder with Gama Ray Martinez.
2: Fifteen minutes long because
1: you're in a hurry and we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. I'm Howard, and I'm Gamma. Gama, thank you for joining us on the podcast. <laughs> Glad to be here. Gama is a longtime friend of mine that I met many years ago, and he is an excellent writer who writes middle grade fiction, Yes. and we'll be talking about his book during the book of the week, or one of his books, shortly. And we are here live, also at Life, the Universe, and Everything. <laughs> this is the science fiction fantasy convention that happens in our own Provo, Utah, um, And they have submitted questions for us, quite a number of very good ones, and so I'm going to start throwing them at the podcasters, Uh, not literally. Um, (laughs) And Gina and James are going to start us off. They both ask the questions very similar to one another. They say, it's pretty clear that you can create wonder through magic, superpowers, crazy sci-fi stuff, trademark, etc. But in more realistic fiction, what are some ways or examples of creating wonder?
2: I think, I mean, true love is an example of wonder. One of the things about wonder is that every character has something different that they find wonderful. So what you're really doing to create a sense of wonder in your reader is helping them share what your character is experiencing by the way you describe it on the page. You know, just think about looking at someone that you love or a sunset that's really spectacularly beautiful and, and not inversion (laughs) <laughs> um, and and that, is, that is a sense of wonder And it's not magic The Grand Canyon uh,
3: Is a real thing That, that always evokes wonder um, and, and has done so for Well, for Always Well, yeah, oh, well over a <laughs> hundred years in the, in the European and American sense In that we started getting, uh, getting art from it um, As artists and writers Wrote about the frontiers And the American West Uh, during the uh, 19th and early 20th centuries. They were trying to do exactly that, is evoke a sense of wonder. And it sold really, really well for them.
4: I think wonder can also be emotional. Uh, I remember reading a thing that uh, Roger Ebert, the film critic, wrote about an emotion he called transcendence, that there is often a point in a really good movie where a character does something either very selfless or very ennobling, something that makes you, you know, you kind of feel that kind of rush, like a swelling of, of emotion that he called transcendence. And I think that's absolutely a part of wonder as well.
5: I think it's important to capture the character's reactions. One of my favorite examples of this is in The Wheel of Time. I don't remember what Tarvalin looks like, except for there's a the big white tower. What I do remember is when Nanih Van Nguyen first came in, uh, Shiriam said, it takes your breath away the first time and the tenth time, and the
1: hundredth time. That's what I remember about that city. Right, when the characters are in awe, you're going to feel in awe as well. Um, We have Evan, Sadie, and Acacia all asking a very similar question also, which is um, what are some ways that you can incorporate a sense of wonder within a well-explained world or magic system? If it's not going to be wondrous to the characters to use this, how can you still make it wondrous to the reader? Which is kind of a tough question, considering what we just said, is that the characters being in wonder if something makes us feel a sense of wonder.
2: One of the techniques that we've talked about in previous episodes is um, expanding a moment. Uh, last season, we had you do an exercise where you... Um, expanded the moment when a character walked across the room and opened a door. And that's one way that you can help your reader experience wonder by actually spending more time describing it, just sort of lingering on it. And also the the kind of vocabulary that you use to describe it can tell people a great deal about how you feel about something.
4: I think that's especially true of size or distance or something like that. If you can give us a true sense of how... Enormous something is how tall a particular
1: building is. Then even if the character doesn't care, we're going to feel that, right? And there's always going to be somebody in the book that's experiencing it for the first time. Even if your main character is a little bit more, more well world worn and weary, there will be somebody they use their magic in front of, or that they take to the grand, um, you know, beautiful tower or whatever. That has a moment that they say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What just happened?" And that can remind your world-weary character of something they did in their youth, the first time they experienced it. And you have that moment where you can evoke that sense of wonder for the reader by reminding the main character.
2: And the other thing is that just because you're used to something does not mean the sense of wonder goes away. I have been a professional puppeteer for over 20 years, and I was, um, I was Oscar's right-hand last season on Sesame Street, and let me tell you, I felt a <laughs> sense of wonder. Even though I've worked on Sesame Street before, but it was just, it was, it's its wonderful every time I go on the, Wait, on the street. Wait, is that why
1: you've been more grouchy?
2: <laughs>
1: it was getting into character? It was getting into yeah. character.
2: It's just my right hand, though. Mm-hmm.
5: <laughs> and there's also mentioning, just mentioning casually things that, Think that the reader would find wonderful. You know, I was walking by and I, and I passed a dragon on the street and I just kept on, you know, you kept on walking. And you just mentioned that and that gives the reader this sense that this world is wondrous even if the characters don't feel that anymore. You know, the, the, that, that juxtaposition
3: of uh, the reader would find this wondrous but the characters don't, for me, is exactly the sort of cognitive conflict that I will use to tell a joke. Mm. And if the narrator is in omniscient mode, the narrator can riff on that hard, and that, mm. that, can, be, that can be a lot of fun. That Lug- can be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, This is one, one thing that you, you have up on the rest of us, because you want to make something look wondrous in a comic, you can draw this perspective of these tiny people in front of something it's just awesome. <gasps> not
2: that easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you just make it look easy. Yeah. Sure um, okay. it is.
2: Anyone can draw. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh I did a uh, sketch editions of my last book, Howard. People paid twenty dollars for stick figures.
5: <laughs>
1: but they it did go to charity. Um, and, and plus I the stick is one of your characters. Yeah, yeah. And plus there is a stick.
2: I, I am having a sense of wonder about that. Although it yeah, yeah. might not be the right adjective.
1: <laughs> um all right. So um Stefan or Steven and Soren ask a question that Goes along these lines, but it's very interesting. How do you avoid getting boring when you show a character in awe of what they're experiencing? Um, it, it seems like it would be, it could, you could stray into the character just being like, oh, you know, Dragon mm-hmm. Ball Z, right? Oh, oh <laughs> <laughs> and well, then you're, you're the like, all right, hey, get
4: over it, dude, get over it. Yeah, Star Trek: The Motion Picture mm-hmm. does this, where people will watch a special effects shot for five solid minutes, and it just gets old. Um, but you know. The other Star Trek movies are a great example of how to do it right, I think. You show something wondrous, and then you show something else wondrous.
3: You know, we, keep, we keep saying show, I think, if you want to maintain interest, engaging as many of the senses as possible. and that's, I mean, that's just a good writing technique uh, to begin with. Um, the sound of the Grand Canyon is kind of amazing, because there's this point at which it doesn't echo anymore. It's so big your voice doesn't come back. It's just...
1: Now I'm going to put on record that Dan said in this podcast right now the, the quote the other Star Trek movies do this well, which I'm going to translate into Star Trek Five. Dan saying is a great example
4: is more wondrous than Star Trek One. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> That's just because of Shatner's ego.
2: Which is a wondrous thing. It is. It really
1: is <laughs> wondrous. It really is. Um, I'm gonna, there's one question here that I'm gonna give a one sentence answer to and then we'll go to the book of the week because I've got a great one for this. Uh, Jonathan asks, how do you give a sense of wonder about gods that are also slaves? Um, This is a very specific question. Seems like something you're working on. I'm gonna point them toward N.K. Jemisin's The 100,000 Kingdoms, which is a fantastic book about gods who are also slaves. And it is a great role reversal and has the wonder involved and those gods that, are, that have been enslaved is like a major driving factor of that book. Uh, so it's a good example of doing this the opposite way. You know, it's instead of basking in the wonder, the little minutia of interacting with these things that you know are much bigger than the story um, is very wondrous. Um, but let's go ahead and stop for the book of the week. Gamma, will you tell us about um, Shadowguard? Uh, Shadowguard is a
5: middle grave fantasy, which I described, the short version is, Like Harry Potter, if Harry Potter had the literal soul of a guardian angel. Mm. It is about a kid who goes away to magic school and suddenly he starts remembering things he can't possibly know. Like he remembers the creation of the universe. He finds out eventually that uh, there are these orders of uh, what I call pharaoh, but they're basically angels, called the Shadow Guard. Their whole purpose is to watch over demons who are imprisoned. A dark wizard tried to release one. Uh, The main character stopped him. But the wizard had already gathered his power, so cursed him the human flesh for one lifetime with that power. So that is this kid. He's trying to figure, because he's no longer watching over the demon, the demon is getting free. So he's trying to get back his memories, trying to get back his power to fight this demon because there's no one else who can.
1: Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, that sounds great. And the, the name you write under is Gama Ray Martinez. Yes, that's correct. And they can go to slash excuse. They can start a trial at audible and download Shadow Guard and kick off their. Their their 30-day trial. It's uh, narrated by uh, Adam Vern, who did a fantastic job. All right. So we're going to go back to our questions. There are known steps to dealing with loss, anger, denial, grief, acceptance. Are there steps in wonder, excitement, discovery, fear, boredom, question mark, or is it self-sustaining? Dan Allen.
2: Oh, I thought you were asking Dan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to let Allen answer that one.
3: (laughs) So you're you're asking for the the stages of wonder?
1: Yeah, that's what that's what he's asking for. He's asking, are there stages of wonder? Oh, um, holy cow! Cool! <laughs>
3: wow! Uh, and meh. I, 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 I. What you're talking about is how the character is responding to a thing, and uh, the reason I don't have a good answer is because. We, we all do it differently. If we all did it the same way, in the same order, with a pattern, uh, it, it, it wouldn't be
2: interesting. I, I think, see, this is one of those things that I'm like, I, I think that there probably actually is, I'm going to disagree with Howard, I think that there probably is a general order, which is that, that the first thing that happens when you see something that is overwhelmingly awesome, that there is disbelief. Um, then there is awe, uh, then there is an attempted at understanding, uh, and then there is an internalization of the awe. But I've just made that up on the fly, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if that's actually holds. Oh, I,
1: that sounds real. That sounds good
4: to I me. I think
2: that would work. I also
4: think that you could do that where every stage is the word what in a different <laughs> intonation.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
5: A number of years ago, I went uh, snorkeling with whale sharks and they, they first told you, all right, the, the, the fish is about uh, 10 meters long. And I was like, that's as big as this boat. And when eventually <laughs> we got in the water and I looked at them and initially my mind rejected. I was like, nothing can be this big. And it's just, it's right there. And I mean, that, that was, I think that's the first step is, you know, the, the disbelief. And, you know, even, even as that
1: sort of wore off, it was still just unbelievable. Yeah. So, Scott asks, does wonder come more from the style of prose, the pace of the plot, or the type of setting and its description?
2: Yes. That was what <laughs> I was going to answer as well.
1: He also asked, is whimsy connected to wonder in some way?
2: Hmm. I think it can be, but I don't think that it is necessary because I think that you can have a sense of wonder about something that is um, terrible. Uh, it, it's not quite the same emotion. Uh, but I think it is a shade of it, you know, like some of the, um, I'm, I'm specifically thinking about uh, um, John Scalzi's The God Engines, which came to mind when you were talking about mm. Nora Jemison's. Um, there's definitely a sense of wonder to that book because they are using gods as the literal engines of starships, but there's nothing nice and whimsical about it.
1: Yeah, the, I think that there is some loose connection, whimsy and wonder. Um, When I think of whimsy, though, I think more of um, a story where anything can happen Um, rather Mm -hmm. than the characters being in awe. It's more like this Alice in Wonderland sort of sense of we're just going to go from whimsical adventure to whimsical adventure and then we'll pop out at the end and we'll be fine. Um, It's not really about the threat. It's about, you know, the weird things that happen, which does Tied to wonder, but is, is only like a cousin. It's not the exact same thing. I,
3: I think the relationship between whimsy and wonder is like the relationship between caramel and dessert. <laughs> <laughs> right. You can have caramel with something that is not dessert, and you can have dessert without caramel in it.
1: Um, Lance asks, you, how should you, or should you at all, foreshadow wonder? Now, this is an interesting question, because in future uh, months, we're going to be talking about like horror, where you really need to have some good foreshadowing and lead up. Part of the, the horror aspect is this building toward it, this, uh, this sense of dread that something terrible is coming. Uh, can you do the opposite, a sense of growing excitement about something wondrous coming towards you?
2: I think that a lot of wonder, I think you do have to do setup for wonder, but I'm not sure that it's exactly foreshadowing, because mm-hmm. part of... Part of what is one with with wonder uh, as a the elemental subgenre is that there is a, a sense of surprise and discovery. So, to a certain degree, I think what you're establishing as you're coming up on something wonderful is what is normal, um, so that when the thing that comes in is, that is wonderful happens, you you've got something to contrast it against.
3: We used the example of the uh, uh, star destroyer and the Death Star in Star Wars. Uh, repeatedly in talking about wonder, and I would argue that the Star Destroyer is a foreshadowing of the sense
4: of wonder yeah. you're going to get from the Death Fair Star. Point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would also point out uh, the novel *Contact* or the movie *Contact*, which is really kind of one long, slowly escalating sense of wonder you know, where first you get a a signal from aliens and you start to wonder what it would be and then you get to find out what it is and it's a cool plan for something and then you get to build it and see what it makes and then you get to find out what that thing does and each one kind of foreshadows something even cooler is coming than what you just learned. I think another good example is the beginning of the movie
5: Gladiator. Um, Maximus says he's never been to Rome, but he goes, the rest of the world is cruel and dark. Rome is a light and you see this sense of wonder in him regarding that city. Mm. And it's built up until you actually see the city, and you see people saying, "I did not know men could build such things." And
1: all right, it is time to break for our homework. Um, I, but first, I would really like to thank Gamma for being on the podcast with us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great. Everyone should check out his books. I'd like to thank the audience here at LTUE. <laughs> One woman was so excited to clap that she dropped her laptop sound. I am going to give the homework here. One of the questions talked about, in fact, several of them took different tacks on this, which is, how can you have someone who is world-weary and knows a lot about the world, still experience a sense of wonder. So what I want you to do is try to do this contrast. Have a character who is not necessarily in awe of some aspect of the world and find a way in a story or scene that you can evoke a sense of awe in the reader, whether by doing what I talked about, hearkening back to the the character's first experience, or just having them blow it off but the reader say, wait, this is awesome. And this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.
0: If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of